Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? Were those guys really in hell the whole time or was that just the audience? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Each episode, a guest and I will choose a celebrated series from history, from the 70s to the streaming era and beyond, and do a deep dive on its very last episode. Was it all a dream? Did it turn into a nightmare? And most importantly, what can we learn about tomorrow's new shows from the way yesterday's ended? TV is a journey. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast about the destination. Starting January 17th, find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me as always, Rob Mahoney. And YouTube sensation, Big Waz. Waz, do we need to call you Mr. Waz now? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm still the same Big Waz. Although, you know, some of my closest friends, when they want to razz me, like to call me Small Wozney. But you know, I'm, I'm either one, whichever one you guys prefer. I'm just a little miffed that you started this whole new series to get in your feelings. But I thought that's what we do here on this show. Well, mm. that's the thing. It's just an extension. I'm not okay. doing it's anything. It's an extension of the brand. You you won't hear any takes there that you haven't heard here. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to sell it. <laughs> so no, but when yeah, you get just, into the uh, experiential stuff, like the Mr. Beast, like I'm going to put people in a house and give them a million dollars. We got a little bit of time before we get to that. Um, I'm sure it's State Farm... Or uh, any of our numerous other sponsors might want to get involved. We, we'll get FanDuel on the phone at some point um, here in the future. But yeah, we're just having fun with it about you know all of these fun NBA topics. I mean, we're we're running our yaps two times a week up here. Obviously, I've got even more gas bagging to do. So <laughs> mm. there we go. It's no limits, Rob. When's your uh, your Twitch live show coming out? 
I mean, that whole thing's in development. It's really high <laughs> concept. We don't want to rush into just anything. Like you want to treat your consumers and your viewers with respect. So we're trying to do that to the utmost degree that we can. The problem is there's a lot of production. There's a lot of special effects. There's a lot of props that need to be bought, costumes that need to be designed. Justin, I know as the editor of the program, <laughs> you're heavily involved in all of those things. So you should know better than most. <laughs> we were talking before we got on this podcast about some props that we might be breaking out during All-Star Weekend. May or may uh, not be breaking uh, I out. I think we're leaning toward May. Uh, but now that we're speaking into existence on this pod, I feel like we have to. Um, or at least that's what I'm hoping for as I force Rob's hand and he shakes his head at me vigorously. Mm. I hope you're getting... Speaking of the live show, I hope you're you're getting your tickets at highfiveindy.com for Saturday of All-Star Weekend oh, to yeah. come see your boys and Jay Kyle Man. So if you haven't yet, get those. They're selling like hotcakes or whatever thing in Indiana sells vigorously, quickly. Um, today, we're going to honor another date in the trade deadline or March to the trade deadline, January 15th is practically when everyone that signed over the off season is now available to be traded. Some guys, most guys did that about a month ago. Now everybody else is back on the table. So we expect to see some fireworks start to happen over the next couple of days and weeks uh, as we get toward February 8th. But today we are going to talk about our most interesting players Ahead of the deadline, we each brought two to the table. I think we need to start, Rob, with the red-hot Utah Jazz winners of five in a row, 14-4 and since December 13th, best team in in the NBA. But you want to ruin a good thing here. I wouldn't say that. I just want to have a conversation with my pals about the fate of the Utah Jazz and ultimately what they should be doing. But also, more importantly... I think we need to circle back as a podcast because a week ago, we were diagnosing the problems with the Lakers and the Warriors, and we're talking about how those teams can turn their seasons around. And since then, Utah has hurdled both of those teams in the standings, including a win against the Lakers straight up on Saturday night. So we have a case, not unlike last season, where the Jazz could probably make a run at a play-in spot if they wanted to. Or they could just as easily kind of strip this roster for parts or take offers on its best player, who's the player I in particular want to talk about today, Lowry Markkinen. Mm. I think he's the guy of all the players, not just on the jazz, but on the market that could really change the title race in a material way. He's that good. He's that big. He's that important. And most importantly, he he slots into a complimentary role so well. He's such a great off-ball player, one of the best spot-up guys in the league, a great cutter, a great mover, and has the size, especially when you're thinking about how do you match up with the Denver Nuggets, for example. Having that kind of size at the 3-4 could be a real game-changer for some of these Western Conference contenders. So OKC is the natural team on the board, but really I want to open the conversation league-wide on Lowry and say, like, where where could this guy go? Or if you're on the Utah side... How seriously do you want to consider trading a player who's that good? Yeah, I mean, Lowry, honestly, when the Cavs had announced back when he was still on, when they first got him, that he would be playing small forward for them, I was somebody who thought they were completely insane and out of their minds. Like, this is not, this guy's not a three. Um, He's just not explosive enough, um, sneaky athletic enough to actually get things done at that position. But I was flatly wrong. He thrives thrived in that position, honestly. 
and ever since getting into Utah, he's only gotten better. And yeah, his ability to slot between three and four. Um, we say this every single year in the playoffs that matchups dictate playoff series. Oftentimes, like a team, you know, might be better suited to play another team that, you know, intuitively you might not understand it. What that comes down to is a lot of teams don't have positional versatility, right? Um, they have guys who can perform one function. And when they're not doing that, they become effectively useless in certain playoff series. The reason why Larry's so, um, attractive is that he is a versatile guy. He can guard, you know, two positions and offensively he's positionless. Like you said, he doesn't need to be on the ball. He's a great spot up shooter, great cutter, can punish little guys if you try to put really small people on them. And so, yeah, I think um, he makes perfect sense for a lot of teams, but the best teams don't have the assets to go out and do it, right? When you think about the Bucks, or if you think about Golden State, even to a certain extent, they're not the best teams, but you know what I mean? Like the teams at the top of their conferences, respectively, it's the younger teams, you know, um, you mentioned OKC. I would even, I would even consider it if I was Orlando, even if you say that's a positional glut, I think that just makes you that much more switchable, that much more, you know, um, amorphous as a team if you look into it as Orlando. But again, it's going to be one of these young teams that has a lot of picks out into the future because we know that's what gets the juices flowing that, you know, stirs, girds his loins. Is that how you say that, <laughs> Rob? The, I'm uh, not Danny sure how Hades. relevant the girding of loins is at this particular juncture, but... Mm. I, I hear you on everything else, Waz, and especially about Lowry's appeal with a wide, wide variety of teams. The flexibility he gives you, Justin, is in part is what's making Utah so good right now. This new lineup they've been rolling out with John Collins at the five is kind of sick. And yeah. it, it, it's really like lifted the lid off of their offense in Utah. Like they look a lot more like the team we saw last year, wheeling and dealing, driving and kicking a lot of interchangeable ball handlers and passers and movers. Are, are we ready to give up on that dream for the sake of a deal, even if it's not trading Lowry, but trading John Collins or Colin Sexton or any of the other jazz guys who might be available? I think that's kind of the existential question that has to be answered first and foremost with Utah, because it does feel like there's a real Belichickian thing happening here where it's just they're better than the sum of their parts. It's mm. just like, and the mixing and matching. Peace, Bill and, Belichick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You had a good run there, buddy. As a Jet um, fan, I'm not sorry to see you go. <laughs> Until he's coaching the Jets next year. Mm. Oh, I would invite that, honestly. Yeah. But you could always go home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, even like in that Lakers game, I thought Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune had a good piece about how they flipped the script at halftime and had the pieces in order to do so. And so like Walker Kessler isn't playing as well as he has of late. So they just play John Collins more. And like mm -hmm. John Collins wasn't doing a good job on Anthony Davis. So Laurie Markkinen took the gig and he did well on him. And they just have so many mix and match parts that they can kind of just cycle through until something worked. Keontae George, a guy who was starting for them earlier in the season, is coming off the bench now. He played well down the stretch, and all of a sudden, they just kind of let him have Keontae those minutes. George is a big Rob guy, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. He's good. He's good. <laughs> but So I, I think that's the question, though, Rob, is, is how... How long can you go down this route? How good is this team if you just play out the string this in this way? And I think 
last year's deadline deals inform this year's. Do you want to do the same thing again where like you get your fan base excited about this like salt of the earth, like scrappy underdog team and then just sell them again? And so can you do the same thing over again? I think is my question. You can only pull the rug out from people so many times where you have these, you know, and Utah didn't even start this season especially well, but now they're rounding into form in a way that's fun and promising. What makes it difficult is I don't know how high, like how much headroom a Fontecchio, Markinen, Collins front court has on defense in particular. I agree with you. There are individual games and individual matchups where you can mix and match the parts Mm -hmm. and make it work. But ultimately, you want a backbone. You want a Walker Kessler type prospect in there to grow with and to establish like, okay, this is who we're going to be on this side of the ball. As much as I like their versatility and the optionality that they have to change things night to night, I kind of like the stability of a a more set approach. And if this isn't going to be it, and I I can't say there's any evidence defensively to say that this is the look going forward. (laughs) They are winning these games with offense. They are winning these minutes with offense. And that's awesome, and it works. But maybe it doesn't work enough to bank your whole future on it. What would you do, Waz? I mean, to me, uh, Laurie Markkinen should be borderline untouchable, in my opinion, just because he's proven, like, he made the all-star team last year, and he's proven that that's not a fluke. Like, he's that caliber level of player. He might not be perennially all-star, but he's knocking on the door every single year. And isn't that the point of roster construction is to uh, um, acquire players of this quality? So, you know, to me, marketing, unless you get bowled over by something, I, I don't see why you would even be putting marketing on the table. The rest of these guys, I think... Depending on the situation, um, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, these guys make sense on real teams. Teams that could use some secondary or how do you what's the what is what's the word for the third person? It's not secondary. Tertiary, tertiary yeah, tertiary. Tertiary um ball handling and offensive pop. And so I, I think those guys. You should be looking at even Walker Kessler, you know, played with Team USA, is a traditional five, you know, rim running sword, uh, rim protecting sword. Even him, I think you need to give it a little time. And so I think it's in John Collins, the deal is the deal. I don't know how you get something great for his contract, but, you know, even John Collins, of course, I think somebody, if you can get something, you should. But but marketing to me should be staying put. Yeah, the most important thing about marketing right now is whatever the future of the Jazz is, at some point, they're either going to develop or bring in another star guy. And whoever that is, marketing fits with them. It doesn't even matter what their skill set is, what position they play. You can find a way for that guy to play with Lowry marketing And for that to be your starting point, I would be very reluctant to give that up. But as a, another team, an Oklahoma City Thunder type team, I would be very interested and, and inclined to offer a pretty substantial deal for a player like that. My favorite marketing just tidbit is that next year's contract is only a third guaranteed. It's 18 million, which already is a bargain deal. Huge only bargain. 6 million of that is guaranteed. And for our friends 
at home listening to this, all-star players don't have partial guarantees in their contract. (laughs) Just to show you like how far he has come and the Jazz have come along with him. This guy was a ostensible throw-in or at the very least a buy low to see what they had in him in the big picks deal uh, with the Cavaliers. And it's just like completely changed over over the course of two years. It's kind of wild to see. So Rob, what teams other than OKC do you see as a fit for him? Because I could probably rattle off 10 here just off the top of my head. Yeah, I think he could make sense in a lot of places. It's just a matter of do they have enough? And you know, you can get the sense based on the conversation we're having and some of the reporting that's out there that another team would basically have to bowl over Utah with an offer to get Lowry Markin. And so then when you get into, you know, could the Sixers get him? I think the answer is no. You know, could could the Magic get him as Waz alluded to? I think maybe they could. They might actually have the assets to pull off a deal like that. But maybe you are getting too much of the same yeah, thing. Some say it's positional redundancy, and I I understand that. Yeah, but I, I really could imagine so many different teams talking themselves into him. Like Dallas the could heat. certainly use him. Oh my God, the Heat! He would be such a great. He'd fit. be the perfect Heat. <laughs> <laughs> when you've seen what their like movement shooters have been able yeah. to pull off, imagine if those guys were seven feet tall and could dribble and could dunk on people. Like that's yeah. what Lowry Markkinen is. Well, Wise, you also had a Jasmine on your list. Do you want to talk there about him? Is, it's Jordan Clarkson because I think he's been, like, back in his Laker days or even early Jazz days, he was kind of, you know, he was seen as an unserious, non-winning player, right? Pretty slight, very, very shoot-first-minded, limited on-the-ball capabilities, He was just seen as a limited player, but he's evolved into something much more substantial than that. Like, he's made himself into a credible pick-and-roll operator. Obviously, he has the spot-up game. I just think he's a genuine scorer. And on teams like the Knicks, who often struggle to score, on even a team like Minnesota, who, yes, they gave all their goddamn assets to Utah already— in the Rudy deal, I think he could be useful in Minnesota as an on-ball guy who actually looks to score, right? Conley, we love. He's more of a connector at this point. He's a great spot-up guy. Um, if you go way too under on the screen, he'll rise and fire and make it decently consistent. But he's not looking for his shot. And Minnesota's looking for more offensive juice. So I look at teams that are, you know, really good teams at the top of the standing whose identity is more so on the defensive end of the floor at this part, point of the season. And I look at the Knicks and Minnesota as teams that could use what Jordan Clarkson has to offer. And you could say the same thing about his teammates. So the two sides of Jordan Clarkson, on the one hand, shooting 41.7% from the floor, that is the same as Jordan Poole as one of the worst marks in the entire league. Ninth worst, I believe, right? On the other hand, he's distributing at a career high rate, 5.3 assists per game. That's a career high assist rate is great. And also his partnership with Lori Markinen has been electric. Like some of the numbers, especially during this run, has kind of been um, remarkable. And so on the one hand, I'm like, oh, Jordan Clarkson, can I really trust him? On the other hand, 
Jordan Clarkson. I think I could trust him in like. <laughs> but Jordan Clarkson can shoot. That's the thing. Like we he have can. a yeah. long enough data set to know that yes, the shot has been erratic, more erratic than season this season than it has been over the course of his career. But I have confidence that this guy can take and make big ass shots too. He's that kind of player. He is more of a reputation shooter than a percentage shooter, if that makes sense. And that's yeah. why even the seasons. You know, it's really now like a three-year stretch where the three has not been in a great place with him in terms of percentages. But he's still guarded like a shooter. And that, to me, is almost more important. And he takes important. hard threes. Yes. Takes a lot of hard shots, a lot of self-created shots, you know, to his benefit and to his detriment sometimes. But yeah, there's there's a lot of teams right now that could use a little punch off the bench. Waz, I think Minnesota's a great call. You know, I, I think Orlando is an interesting case because they already have Cole Anthony, but they yeah. do need a scoring punch. So maybe he's too redundant there. If I were the Nuggets, I would think about it. Oh, my God. And <laughs> maybe you can make the same argument about Reggie Jackson being too redundant, but I think Jackson and Clarkson could play together a fair bit. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're eating into the, the Strother developmental opportunities, but I'm fine with that if we're contending for a the title and we don't quite trust him. Incredible. It's been be very, very, very spotty. Peyton Watson, though. Hmm? Hmm? Look, Jordan Clarkson's not stealing Peyton Watson minutes, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I'm just saying as a Nuggets LeBron guy, isn't stealing yes. Peyton Watson no. minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's eight inches and 40 inches of vertical between Jordan Clarkson and Peyton Watson. So uh, Peyton Watson's role is safe and secure, but I would love them to get one more guy off the bench who could go off. And yeah. that that's something that they could really use. I like that fit. Great contract for Jordan Clarkson. It's two years on a $28 million extension off of this season. So he's making $23.4 million this year, but then it actually decreases to where each, like the next two season combined is about as much as he's making this year. So he fits a lot of scenarios as you guys are mentioning. It's kind of crazy to say because I think we kind of deride these instant offense six man types as like, you could just find them anywhere. There's just scoring no. guards all over the place. But when you get to this point in the season, it does feel like certain teams, especially contending teams need that extra jolt, especially as you're trying to trudge through February and March. And you're just trying to stay where you are in the standings. And I mean, the Knicks, good God, the Knicks need that, especially if they get like Brunson, like hurts a thumb or something like that. You need someone to handle the ball. Yeah, you get to these different points in your team building cycle where, like the Knicks, you've you've traded a couple of guys and now you find yourself with this deficit. Or if you're a good winning team that's been consistent, you just lose guys in free agency over the course of a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, you really need a Jordan Clarkson. So you, you could see how a lot of teams could talk themselves into him. And from Utah's perspective, that's a way where you could make a meaningful you know, a meaningful haul, get something in return for a player who isn't going to materially change your core. Like Jordan Clarkson is helpful for the Jazz, but not necessarily like structurally important to the Jazz. You know who could really use Jordan Clarkson? The Detroit Pistons. <laughs> I mean, they got Danilo Gallinari. What more do they need? <laughs> <laughs> that, if that isn't a Ish Smith, like public facing, we are trying to do something, but not really sort of trade. I don't know what is man, which oh, as man. for the listeners at home at, before we came on here, the Pistons traded Marvin Bagley's expiring contract and Isaiah livers. Who's let's just be honest, garbage. Uh, and a couple seconds for Danilo Gallinari <laughs> and Mike Mascala. And I have to say, when Gallinari... Very not feeling charitable this morning. No, I was not expecting that. <laughs> Let's just be honest with, with our friends at home here. Extremely uh, rude. He's trying I his just, best. Feel, he has not played well. 
I feel bad for Gallinari, man. He just wants to eat pasta and cash some checks. He's going to have to go. Let yeah, the man pump fake. Pump fake. <laughs> and he's going to have to do that now in Detroit. That's, oh God, what an awful, awful situation. Um, but I could see Clarkson or someone like there just like being able to carry some minutes and, and professionalize what has been just a complete catastrophe in, in Detroit. I think, I mean, Detroit's going to be interesting at the deadline, if only because I think they need to, if they want to avoid infamy and having the worst record in, uh, in NBA history, add, not subtract. Is there a single a person on our list who wouldn't make sense in Detroit? Like, they need upgrades <laughs> at every single position. Uh, maybe That's Draymond. hard to do. I guess Draymond would be going home, though. Um. Well, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk, let's talk okay. about Draymond while he's on the board. I'm yes. I'm, I'm curious to hear Waz's take so, on Draymond Green as a player of deadline intrigue. So to me, he's a clear factor. Uh, meaning he'll make an impact on your defense, no matter what the team is. There is no construction of any team where it's like, oh, we couldn't use what Draymond brings on defense. Like, everybody needs what he brings to the table. And why I was intrigued by him as a trade candidate is because it just got reported this past week that every single person on the Golden State Warriors roster is on the block, except for Steph Curry. And this is, and that's newsworthy because we've known throughout Steph Curry's tenure there that he's been like, no, like the core four, the core guys you know, Iggy at certain points, and of course, Clay and Draymond, um, these guys should be untouchable. This is who we've built the foundation with. They should always be here. This is who our culture as a unit is based on. They should be here, but we've now heard that that's no longer the case. And I think Draymond Green, who the deal isn't, he doesn't have the greatest contract, most team-friendly contract, but I think if you're a team that's, that's solidly in the playoffs, he's more than worth it. You know, um, these kinds of dynamic in one direction sort of players um, make the most sense on championship level teams, right? Um, And so, you know, to me, the same way people were talking about OG Ananobi as a trade chip is how they should be talking about Draymond Green in terms of what he does the day he gets there on the court. Now, culturally, <laughs> now everything like, <laughs> else <laughs> culturally, it's a little bit more combustible and unpredictable, but again, I look at a team like and I don't know if the Warriors would ever do this to Draymond, but a team like Sacramento could absolutely use Draymond Green 100%. Both to one he the the Mike Brown offense was invented in Golden State. He slots perfectly into that. All of the movement, you know, um, sort of egalitarian stuff that they do. He can play next to Sabonis and matchup dependent. Sabonis, get your ass out of here. We need a real defensive center in there. Draymond can play um, there too. Uh, I, I just look at any team. The, the, the Kings I look at specifically because of how they got bullied in the playoffs um, just, just out physical. I think Draymond would, would be that. But for me, Draymond is an interesting chip for anybody who wants to kick up their defense another notch. Well, for starters, I do think that Draymond Green is an important part of Golden State Warriors history. He's going to get his statue. He's going to be remembered incredibly fondly at the end of his career for his contributions to these teams. But he has worn out his like get out of jail free card that Clay Thompson has. The conversations are totally different in terms of the sentimental conversation around Clay. There's there's no sentiment. You can't be sentimental. 
once you're getting pulled out of seasons for your behavior, I think we're in Twice. a different we're in a different place within two months. Yeah, what does that statue look like? Is it him stepping on Demontis Sabonis? And what would Sabonis he's definitely his new yelling. think about that? Uh, he's definitely uh, yelling. His, his mouth is a gape for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but Waz, what you just outlined is is a very narrow window of team. A team mm-hmm. that is good enough to talk itself into thinking we just need like one more step to be real deal contenders, but desperate enough to say that the guy we need to take that step is the guy who was just being suspended effectively by his team in the league for his behavior. And that's where I get stuck, where his defense could absolutely help so many teams. But him as a culture setter is just not a thing anymore. Him as a culture builder. If you don't have a culture of defense established already, who on these teams is going to look to Draymond as a leader and take him seriously? The Pacers? The Lakers? If you're a young player, how could you look at Draymond and say, like, I got to listen to that guy? I don't want to get punched in the face. I mean, that's a fair threat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that violence is the answer. Yeah. I think he would have more influence over a younger team that has probably looked up to him. And a lot of these like bigs are probably modeling their games off of Draymond than he would on a more veteran-laden team All that I'm doesn't have like LeBron. Is that the Pacers routinely drop 140 on people. They yeah. cannot stop a nosebleed. Draymond. Okay, would... they, they've been spotting the nosebleed of oh, late. Okay. They, they got they the got tissue. Kleenex. They okay. got the tissue up the nose to at oh, least slow okay. the flow. But that's okay, where we're that's, at. That's, I'm, just, I'm just saying. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's an improvement. But again, I look at somebody like the Pacers, who is an all offense sort of team. Uh, Draymond Green would immediately upgrade what they do, and you know, I don't. I look. I, I think. The, the Warriors, in order to move Draymond, might want a Miles Turner type in in return because um, they'd want a starter-level player to be getting rid of a championship piece, that a guy that's been a championship piece for them. So I'm not sure the type of return that they could send back. Um, but again, it's a team, to me, that should be looking to upgrade on defense, and Draymond presents a really quick way to do that. Um Pelicans are a team with personality issues <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think they might also have been playing too well to trade yeah, for Draymond. They might be like, we're not desperate enough to do yeah. this, but I think he would make sense on the Pelicans as well. Just again, um, their defense would just be ratcheted to a to another level. Some people might be like, how can you play? I think you could play Draymond next to Zion because Draymond can play the five credibly, right? right. Um, and so You know, I think teams like that. Well, I think the Pacers scenario is particularly interesting because I do think trading Draymond opens up two really important existential questions about the Warriors that somehow we did not address last week when we talked about them for an hour because the Warriors are the gift that keeps on giving. Just like you can talk about them for seven podcasts in a row. I do wonder, and this is something that has kind of picked up steam here, if the Warriors need to get bigger. And you're seeing this kind of dribble out from people with Intel on the team is that they they want to get bigger. And I'm a little curious about that because it feels like what they need to do is return to their base set. And it seems like they're at their best when they do that with Draymond and even Trace Jackson Davis has played kind of like a Kabuki theater Draymond at times for them. And it, I, it re- requires a whole shift in, in how they do things. But I, I wonder, like, should they get bigger? Isn't that how they got into that Wiseman pickle? 
They've been thirsty exactly. for big athleticism for so long because it's the one thing they haven't had besides like the best of Festus Azili, which God bless him. Yeah. You know, when he wasn't like super injured, was a pretty athletic big for them. Or but the single never... best moments of JaVale McGee maybe yeah, would JaVale, fit that criteria. I was just about to say JaVale McGee, a guy with asthma who could never play more than 17 minutes a game. But, but you know, what 17 minutes they were was. Yeah, <laughs> they love JaVale McGee, by they the really way. They really do. Um, He's a champion. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that as a sentiment for sure, that the need for size. But who is this size that's out there and available? Is well, it you just Clint mentioned Capella? Miles Turner. You just mentioned Turner. Like, would it make would that sort of trade off make sense for you guys? I don't know why Indiana would do that. Yeah, hmm. I think the issue for some of these teams that are in the Pacers position is they want someone they can grow with. And Draymond Green is not a player. He's only going to get worse from today to the end of his career. So if you're a young team looking forward, he's not the fit for you. If you don't have the capacity to absorb everything he can't do on offense, he's not the fit for you. If you don't have the kind of culture where you can withstand Draymond berating people, then he's not the fit for you, which is, I think, what makes him so hard to trade in conversations like this. So to me, the Pacers and their culture and their looking to the future, at a certain point, playing OB Toppin at the four means in meaningful sort of minutes, means you're not that serious. Honestly, because he just can't guard anybody ever at any position, right? And so I think while OB can get his minutes and a Draymond type, somebody to be a serious four-man for them or backup five um, can spell them. Like, there's just moments where they're just so freaking easy to score against because of the nature of their big man rotation. You know, and Smith being back matters because um, he's actually provides some level of resistance and is more skilled than people realize as an offensive threat. Definitely. But, you know, I, I I just think they need to upgrade their big man position. That's why I'm into Draymond. Of course, I, I get it. The the psychosis that he's <laughs> that he's demonstrated on the court um, over this past season has been troublesome. But I, I genuinely think he's still you know, a a rock-solid defensive player. Well, all of that understood. I think it's worth pointing out the the Bizarro Pacers, another team that's elite on offense, woeful on defense, that might be a little more desperate, and that's the Atlanta Hawks, a team who we we Hmm. try to nose into these trade conversations every which way to figure out, is DeJounte Murray going somewhere? Is Bogdan Bogdanovich going somewhere? Before it was John Collins. There's just so much to shore up with Atlanta. And if we're talking about how to get that team more well-rounded, a team that has ownership pressure, that has superstar pressure, I think there's a universe in which Trey and Jalen Johnson and Draymond can all play together and oh, play yeah. well together. Like that, that could really work in a way that I'm more optimistic about than his fit in Indiana. So you've seen Hawks games this year. You're saying let's play for the now as opposed to let's rebuild and like try to reconstruct this in a way that we we could have something else. I'm not saying let's play for the now. I think they're going to play for the now, no matter what we want. And if they're going to do that, you might as well trade for Draymond Green. Well, that sort of discussion, I think, is also interesting with the Warriors, because as we sit here, they're 18 and 21. They're 12th in the Western Conference. 
And you're starting to hear things come out that they might not even be thinking about this season. How do we improve this season? We've talked about Pascal Siakam, ways to upgrade and maybe that they get into the play-in mix this year. I think the question is like, do you try and win now? Or do you try to maybe shuffle the decks so that you could hit the ground running next season even? And now that's a tough thing to sell to Steph Curry, but he is under contract for two more years after this one. Do you want the next two years to be as good as they can be at while sacrificing this one? And I think a lot of that discussion hovers around not only Draymond, but more importantly, Wiggins, who it seems like they have to probably attach something to in order to get off. And so yeah. like, would you... In, in order to get Wiggins' money off and maybe like provide yourself some optionality down the road, would you give up a Pajemski? Would you give up even a Moody to do so? Which seems like a little like uh, cut your nose to spite your face, but I could at least see the thinking there. I think the way to conceptualize the Warriors' future is whatever they are going to do now needs to make them slightly better, but ultimately more promising. Right? It can yeah. be an incremental step. And it could be an incremental step that opens up flexibility. It could be an incremental step that allows for a subsequent trade that brings in someone midseason who we all know and understand is not going to save them in the way that they're going to go deep in the playoffs. But when you do have Steph, you have to be competitive. You have to be more competitive than this. And that's where the Kuminga stuff is so weird and so frustrating because he is the kind of player who could be important to their future. And I would say, of all the lineup roulette that Steve Kerr has been playing lately... Starting Kuminga has made the most sense to me. Yeah, it's looked good. It's looked yeah. pretty good. And yet there's sometimes, especially lately, he's now coming off the bench. And it's Wiggins in there sometimes. It's Saric in there sometimes. It's Pajemski in there sometimes. I don't know what role Draymond is ultimately going to play when he comes back to the lineup. I'm tempted to say he should just come off the bench. But the problem with that is you have this strong synergy tie between Steph and Draymond where you want them on the floor together as much as possible because Steph bails out Draymond's weaknesses and Draymond makes Steph better. And you can't do that as much if Draymond is coming off the bench to the point that Kerr was basically not playing Draymond without Steph at all before he got, you know left the lineup this season. So what they ultimately do with him when he comes back is something that I'm keeping a close eye on and certainly something that affects their deadline outlook. Like if, if those guys aren't starting together, Draymond's value to the Warriors drops significantly. Yeah, and another thing that I want to add about Wiggins, which is just funny to think about, um, when he signed his extension, we thought he got robbed. It was like, wow, it's like four years, 100 mil for a three who shoots it, guards people, handles it, punishes small guys in certain matchups. Like, what? That like, that's a steal. And now everybody's like, one of the worst deals in the league. <laughs> it's crazy how these things just seesaw, dude. It's uh, the Warriors in a weird position where they need to get better, but also cheaper. And that seems like a primary motivation for Joe Lacob, who stated that before this awful season kicked off. And I don't know how you do both. And so they really are at odds here where they need to get younger and cheaper, but they also need to get better for Steph. And like, it is a Jenga process that like, uh, once again, I must commend Bob Myers for, for getting himself out of the mud here, because this is a train wreck that I don't know if anybody could really solve. They just have to do the best of a bad situation. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident. It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation 
of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Um, all right, I want to do one of, one of mine because we were talking about Laurie Markin and, and Rob, you said something about maybe he is kind of the queen on the chessboard in terms of assets here because I was trying to think like, what are the best possible assets on the table here? And I think Lowry, if he is indeed in play, probably trumps everything just considering how he bolsters a lot of these teams that are kind of in the same part of the title race, but no one's really separating themselves yet. The one guy, though, I think might be intriguing, especially for teams that are selling and ostensibly going to want to get younger, is Jaime Jaquez Jr., who, let's just mm. stop and say, just 100% approval rating? Can we get more oh, than 100? Draft. Just a fucking like, baller. Let's be real. Yes. Like he's he's so good. He's making fadeaways now? Like, what the Got fuck? The footwork. <laughs> what? It, it's so crazy. I remember doing a story. God, it was like probably five years ago now where it was like about defense and like how defense is going to match like historic offense happening. And someone was like the, the like way to that we're going to go is that with spread courts, someone who's going to be able to post up and take advantage of all the extra space there. And I think yeah. Hami Hakez is the future in that regard because you're seeing like this spread court and him just kind of like running into post-ups and working his magical footwork, his like 1970s style footwork against some of these guys. It's like, it's like, it's exciting in ways that it is to listen to like old music. You know, like when that right song comes on, you're like, this hits a sweet spot. And that is Hami Hakez. <laughs> that is the experience for me. He doesn't have that tinny production value that a lot of modern pop does, you know? There's, there's just something, something a little deeper and more bassy to his game. But, you know, Justin, five years yeah. out, five years out, how do you think defenses have done? It seems like they're in a great place in slowing down these historic offenses. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's worked out too well. But the tension with Hawkins, I think, is really fascinating. Because on the one hand, I think he's irreplaceable for the Heat, especially for the Heat, a team where who the fuck knows is going to start for this team on a given mm-hmm. basis. I think they're tied for the most starting lineup combinations in the league. Actually, this is this is a quick aside here. Do you guys know the last time Jimmy Butler played a game? Like, if you were to guess, when would you say is the last time he suited up? It's definitely been a minute. December 12th. Okay. It's December 30th, but he has missed... 10 of the past 11 games, which I think starts around mm. the start and of December. And what are they calling so, that officially? Who knows? <laughs> I'm mm. sure they're saying something that isn't the case. I think he's just old. And so, mm. Hakez is the perfect player, I think, to spot in places where yeah. Jimmy just all of a sudden isn't going to play. Or he can come off the bench. His versatility of roles is perfect for this Heat team that is just going to trudge through the season and hope that Jimmy can be magical like he was last postseason. On the other hand, all these Jimmy injuries and the Lowry injuries just kind of suggest to me that like time is ticking on this era of the heat. And so it kind of is an interesting discussion where it's like, do we just kind of usher in this new wave slowly and then maybe they could take the handoff from Jimmy? Or do we trade a Hawkes who could be probably one of the best blue chip assets on the board for like a Donovan Mitchell or something just to like go all in now? I would probably be the former, but I'm curious what you guys think. 
I don't know. I I don't see the kind of offensive because obviously the kind of guy they're trying to bring in is an all star, shot creator, efficient, ball dominant kind of guy. Uh, and I guess there's kind of two of them on the market, <laughs> depending on you know if we're stretching the the definition of efficient for Zach Levine. Um, I'm doing that deal. Like, I get it. Zach Levine isn't very heat culture He's also got, and it, it needs to be mentioned, an extensive injury past. Like, that has to be considered when you talk about his deal. Um, not just his ability to produce, but that, like, his, the injury stuff is real. We just, we literally just brought up Jimmy Butler, how much time he's missing all the time, which seems like a routine every single regular season. I'm a young guy, get him out of here type of thing. I'm somebody who thinks the Clippers shouldn't regret the Shea trade because Paul George has been better than Shea for what, like 80% of that trade? Um, and so, like, I, I'm somebody who's always going to say, bring in the known commodity, specifically when it's somebody who can have the ball in big spots in the playoffs um, and score, can be dependent on the score, you know, a 40-minute playoff player who scores as compared to Jaime Jaquez, who's a, you know, a Swiss Army knife uh, type of player. Definitely fits within the culture of what they do. But to me, they should definitely, if they can get Mitchell or um, or Zach Levine, I absolutely think they should be considering putting this kid in the deal. See, I would split the difference there. I don't think you trade Jaime Jaquez for someone like Zach Levine who has so many questions, not just about his health, but about how he fits next to other star players, given what he wants to do on a court and more importantly, what he doesn't want to do on a court, I think creates some problems yeah. of the idea of him as a third star. And frankly, as your second star in a post Jimmy Butler future, right? Whoever Hold they bring on, in. Just, just C-H-L-T-U-R-E, brother. C-U-L, <laughs> excuse me. I just spelled culture wrong. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we need. We culture. need the, the misprint culture jerseys. Those are going to go for a premium on eBay. I feel really good about that investment. But Donovan Mitchell is a little different. And I think for all our questions about Donovan as a playoff performer and what happens to him when he gets trapped and what happens to him when he encounters like bigger defenders in size in a playoff setting, the idea of Donovan running a pick and roll with Bam where you have that kind of you know escape hatch, that kind of pressure release coming off of those pick and rolls, that's something Donovan's never had before. He's played with some good mm -hmm. bigs. He's played with especially some good defensive bigs, but no one who can handle and pass and, and redistribute the way that Bam does. So... I think Donovan Mitchell would be a great fit, the kind of fit that would make me willing to give up a prospect like Jaime Jaquez. But overall, you don't give up someone who's this good, this smart, 22 years old, and on a rookie sale contract for Zach Levine. I, I just don't think that that's what you should do. Remember when the Blazers... I, I regret bringing this up, but I'm going to anyway already. Ooh. But remember the Blazers were like, we don't need Jaime Jaquez. We got Tumani Kamara. We got <laughs> the future. Tumani like, Kamara is pretty sick. He's pretty sick. Also, not sure he could shoot. No, he, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he can shoot. But yeah. other than that, other than the non-shooting, <laughs> pretty fun player. So, which is funny, guys, because as bad as, you know, other elements of the Heat deal are looking now, like Tyler Hero hasn't exactly lit the world on fire this season, had a brutal start to the season. Um, the Hawkes part of it is like, 
that would have been nice, right? That would have been pretty good. nice. Let me ask you this. If if you were like a seller, would you rather be targeting Jaime Jaquez or like a Josh Giddy? Giddy is such a unique fit. I think yes. you have to be along for that ride and those considerations in a way that Jaquez you don't, right? He can yeah. he can shoot for one and has to be respected as a shooter for one, but also gives you a lot of the same distributive qualities. I don't think he has the vision that Josh Giddy has. Like Giddy is a, is a pretty exceptional passing prospect. But everything else can leave a little something to be desired. He's a a kind of outback Ben Simmons, although I guess they're both from the outback. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there are levels to Australianness, is what we're learning. It's just, it's just this. Look, yeah, Ben Simmons is Australian, guys. Although he tries to hide his accent, but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, There's just. I don't like this idea that as a, there's this young guy who's we've already decided has all these limitations that, you know, certain fits he can't grow into, right? Like with Josh Giddy. And so that's why I'm just like, uh, I don't know, man. If this guy's so like context dependent, he's way less attractive to me than a guy who fits into every single context of every team in the NBA. Yeah, there's there's versatility and there's quote-unquote versatility. Right, and if anything, yes. Josh Giddy has the illusion of being a versatile player because he can do right, lots of different things. Right, size and handle of and course. vision and, and that kind of thing, yeah. E- even the way he attacks the basket when he's being an aggressive scorer, like that is a quality that you would want in a versatile offense. But ultimately, what he takes off the table compromises the versatility you're trying to achieve. Yes. Which teams don't already have that or have someone that they hope to grow into that role? Whereas like Hawkeyes fits around what you had already established. Yeah. I, but speaking I agree. of the Blazers and who guys who I think should be intriguing trade candidates, Anthony Simons, who is a stud in my mm-hmm. opinion, but I think his future should be at the one. And they've already drafted the savior allegedly at the one. <laughs> I think he's an on ball guy. I think he's his impact gets minimized when he's used as, you know, some Reggie Miller type. Like I don't think that's the kind of guy he is. He can be. Um and I think that's what makes him so attractive. He can be a movement shooter. He can be a spot-up shooter. He can work off the ball, but I think he's kind of demonstrated that he's really good with the ball in his hands. And the more reps he gets as um, a distributor type full-time ball handler, the better he's shown himself to be. And can they even embrace that destiny because they've drafted, you know, the next tiny Archibald. Simons is fascinating to me, especially as we head toward the deadline. He's someone I had on my list. On the one hand, his scoring has been electric and he has been showing more playmaking and off the bounce, just creation than I think he has in the past. His, Fall, a fall drawing, which has been a big sore spot for him, has started to leap a little bit. And it's good to see him kind of go toward con- uh, contact as opposed to shying away from it. On the other hand, he's the worst defender on one of the worst defensive yeah. teams that I've ever seen. Defense also, is thing, yeah. His two-point percentage is third worst in the league. I believe it's tied with Brandon Miller. So a lot of his offense is still coming from the jumper. And the other kind of sticking point with him is that he only has two more years left on his deal. And so you have to wonder, are the Blazers going to be good enough next year? 
I would say no. I think they have a much longer runway at this point. And then at that point, your agent, if they're doing their job, is asking for an extension when you have one more year left on your year after that. And so, like, will the Blazers be able to empower and take advantage of Simons in the way that he probably should? And for that reason, I wonder if he makes sense to trade now, especially as he's healthy, which has also been a concern for him over the past few years, and like reap the benefits of that rather than maybe build things around it. Rob, what do you think? I just think if you're Portland and you have one of the best shooters in the world who's 24 years old on your roster, if you have even the thought in your head that he could someday run a playoff-level offense, and I don't even mean be the number one option. I just mean run it. Can he be your lead guard in a playoff-level offense? If you think that is possible, you cannot trade that player. The shooting is too valuable. What he could be is too valuable. And where you are as a franchise now, it's really the best thing you've got going. The question is, how do you make everything that you have fit in a way that developmentally makes sense? Because you really, in their current form, can't play Simons and Scoot and Shaden Sharp together a ton. And so at some point, you're going to have to prioritize those those endeavors. You're going to have to make a choice. And that crunch, for one makes it very reasonable to trade away, trade away Malcolm Brogdon, who's already been coming off the bench in a bunch of games for the Blazers already. That's kind of assumed. Veteran guy on a young yeah. team, you could trade Brogdon. But also, whether this season or in the future, you're going to have to make a choice on these other three guys. And it's too early to make a call on Scoot. We're still kind of seeing what he can be. And he's just growing into the NBA game in a lot of different ways. It's very early for Shaden Sharp even still. Simons is the most fully formed of those prospects, but he's still growing, as, especially as a lead ball handler. And that's something that I would want to invest in as a team, is seeing, can he be that guy at the point of attack? Because Simons as a lead makes more sense than Scoot Henderson as a lead, just given what those guys can do. Mm. Whoa, that's... <laughs> I don't... I wouldn't say that yet. I just don't think we know that about Scoot. I'm actually... I, I'm still buying Scoot stock. I'm, I'm just saying by skill set. For Scoot, like, mm. I, 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 I've... You know, this idea that, you know, six foot, six foot one guy who barely shoots it, I'm supposed to be excited about. Um, I, you know, I never understood that logic. It was like, oh, but he's like good at mid range, which I was like. Scoot's uh, shot has actually been good. It's actually the the inside game that's been bad of late. Well, and that's a similar thing to, as you're saying, with Simons and his two point percentage. Some of this for both Scoot and Simons is you mentioned Tumani Kamara. They play Matisse Thibel, whose shot has been better by percentage, but doesn't get guarded. Jeremy Grant doesn't get guarded like a three-point shooter. There's a reason why Dwap Reith has like a significant effect on their plus minus in some of these games. Damn right he does. Just like put someone on the floor who can shoot at a (laughs) a reasonable clip. And that has made a big difference. So they just don't have spacing for these guys to get to the rim ultimately right now. Yeah. Yeah, And it's gross out there. I think everybody would say it's too early to give up on Shaden Sharp because he's shown, he's had his moments this season where he's done stuff that just jumps off of the page at you. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, holy moly, this guy might be, you know, a perennial all-star if he keeps this kind of thing up. Obviously, it's been inconsistent, but I don't know, man. I don't I, I don't know. To me, it Simons, if you think Scoot is the guy which is what their management was signaling all summer. The savior has come for us. Okay. <laughs> you need to you need to figure out something with Simons. Well, and if I'm a, a team that is looking at a dynamic like scoring guard, like for instance, the Orlando Magic, 
I wonder oh, if yeah. I am trying to bowl over the Portland oh, yeah. Trailblazers in order to get oh, them. Yeah. And so I think that fit would be good. On the other hand, though, it seems like the Magic have so much stuff these days that not only are they like trying to still figure out what they have in Anthony Black, Jet Howard doesn't even play. He, I mean, I, I know there were concerns about him coming out of the draft. I don't even know what he is as an NBA player. Caleb Houston is kind of manning that start, uh, spot in the starting lineup. It seems like they almost like their advantage is that they have so many of these young guys just on top of young guys that they could fit them in when they need them to. Like it almost seems like they're uh, they're a pipeline team where they just like when you lose one young entry okay guy you got another one right there to do it so it's almost like foundational to their identity but i do think long term they would need someone like simons and like that's the guy i would be targeting in order to like kind of complete the piece of the puzzle around bancaro and and wagner that would be a really gorgeous fit with the way orlando plays defensively and in particular suggs and simons together as a one two that i really like a lot also the lakers we, we have to mention sure. a team that just needs offense. I have to say, man, God, the Lakers are so depressing these days. I think they have to trade Reeves. I don't know if we need to talk about this again, but I, I think they need to get, get over the fact of Austin Reeves being untouchable. Let's just do something different here. Anyway. I, I heard he's Jeannie's favorite player. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Moore's favorite player, so he can't get rid of him. <laughs> can't touch him. Yeah. Um, Rob, do you want to bring us home here? Yeah. I think a guy who's worth noting in this trade market as it develops, and in particular in the scope of one team, oddly enough, is Marcus Morris Sr. Mm. Senior. Senior, specifically. Uh, the Sixers have all the ingredients for like a really active deadline. They're really good, but noticeably not good enough to win their conference right now. Oh, yeah. They have a superstar in his prime. They have some movable contracts and picks to spare. And the latest intel about them is kind of pointing toward more conservative outcomes. Not trading for a star, but a nice backup guard, a nice wing who could join the rotation, just like another piece for a good team. I don't think anyone will be shocked if the big trade materializes because Philly, I think, clearly has some interest in that. But realistically, we're talking about something more modest. And that's where Marcus Morris comes in. He's been fine since coming over to Philly in the James Harden deal. But most importantly, from a deadline perspective, he makes $17 million and he's on an expiring contract. And so when you're thinking about how are the Sixers going to get a decent backup guard, a decent wing to add to the rotation, almost all roads go through Marcus Morris. And so really Marcus Morris is a canvas for us to talk about what Philly needs, what they can realistically get, and what they can really realistically get for like him and some picks or him and one other player and some picks. Cause that's ultimately what they're going to be offering. I think. I don't know what the plan is. Cause we keep hearing about cap space. They don't want to get guys in there with long-term deals. OG and is gone. The, so yeah, all of these other guys that they've kind of been targeting and maybe hoping to wait on. I wonder, for instance, if they even have to settle for a Pascal Siakam type who's not a great fit there. He wouldn't be the like the perfect guy I would be targeting next to Embiid, who we should mention doesn't play these days. And that's a huge concern. I wonder how much that factors in the calculus of how much you're looking to push in right now. But like, who's out there just that you could sign? It's like Drew Holiday, who we haven't really heard as an extension candidate in Boston. Like, but he's going to be 34 as much as I like that fit in the backcourt with Maxi. Like, I don't think he's the guy. And so what's the next move here? It doesn't seem obvious to me at this point. Well, cap space isn't all about free agency. 
I yeah. think there's there's a lot of avenues in which you're talking about facilitating a trade with that space for a star who may or may you know may want to come there, express an interest in coming there. So long sure. term, I think you're playing the trade market as much as anything if you're Philly and hoping that the idea of Maxi's development and Joel being one of the best players in the world is going to be attractive enough to draw someone's trade requests or trade interest. As for what they do in the interim, it's it's tricky, admittedly. You know, they don't have a lot to play with other than Morris's deal. Salary-wise, like unless you're trading Tobias Harris, who kind of makes too much money to trade for a low-level player, unless you're acquiring multiple lower-level players, and Tobias Harris is probably more valuable to what the Sixers are doing than that. So then who are we talking about? And it, it kind of is like Dennis Schroeder, Spencer Dinwiddie, Terry Rozier, Bogdan Bogdanovich. You know, I think there will be some DeJounte Murray chatter, I'm sure, just on the basis of the fact that he and Maxi could theoretically play together, but that might be too rich for what we're talking about. Tyus Jones makes a lot of sense, but there's some reporting that maybe Philly isn't as interested in him for reasons that escape me, because I think he'd be pretty good there. None of these guys are like changing your world, but if you're a good team, maybe they can get you through one more round than you expect. Mm. I think that might be the ceiling for Philly this season. I don't know that they're really challenging the Celtics in particular at the top of the East, but maybe they can kind of shuffle their way up the pecking order behind the Celtics. Yeah, I I, I like Schroeder. I, he was on my list as somebody, again, I think the Lakers sorely miss him because he's somebody who can play both fucking ends. I know we hate two-way, but like he actually was their best on-ball defender by far and was part of the reason why they could be elite is like what AD's doing on the back and Dennis is chasing people around and being a pest at the top um, was, you know, incredible. Uh, I I think the Bucks could use Schroeder. Like, um, instead of doing what they're doing with Beasley, uh, defensively, you allow Dame to go play the, you know, the sort of defensive stopper type on the other team or the non-entity and let Schroeder chase the ball handlers around. And then, you know, now like Giannis and Brooke can actually use their strength because there's some resistance, you know, on the ball. And, you know, again, God bless Dame. He's not a resistance on the ball guy. I think a myriad of teams could use Schroeder um, because of what he does. And I think with IQ coming into Toronto, it's like, bro, just, just let him be the starter, soak up all the minutes, Earn the extension that you're inevitably going to give him this summer. So, yeah, Schroeder is somebody I've definitely identified as. I think he would make a lot of teams better. He did it in the playoffs last year. What do you think about him for Philly? Do you think he could kind of shore up some some of their pressured issues on defense too? The same principles of Dame apply to Maxi. To a, I think Maxie's younger and more athletic. We think of him as a better defensive player than he's shown. And to be sure, he's gotten better than obviously what he was as a rookie, but he's not ideal. But yeah, I think he would make sense on Philly too, honestly. Uh, I, I just think Schroeder, because of the, the change of pace on the ball, like he's somebody who absolutely gets downhill, though Philly's not lacking in that, but he has that. Uh, he can just let Maxi do th- like take a rest as far as initiation is concerned. I'm a big Schroeder fan. Uh, I-, I think he's become super underrated and undervalued. He's also the kind of guy who probably makes sense playing with the six or second unit, like him yep. and Paul Reed, and the open space that comes with Phillies, like Phillies backups and Phillies reserves. I think could make some sense for him. But yeah, you do want someone to just take a little bit of the creative lift off of Maxine and B. There's just so much on their shoulders right now. 
You know who I like for the Sixers is kind of like a stopgap option, intriguing one, Gordon Hayward. Like, assuming he plays I, I, basketball, assuming he plays, but I do think he's someone who could play make a little bit and also like continue your reliance over reliance on the Maxi Embiid. Don't really step on their playmaking numbers, which seems like a pretty big feather in Maury's cap because these guys are just racking up. Uh, the type of numbers that are going to get them into awards conversations, which I think is probably in his benefit in order to keeping them long-term. I also think the Sixers, the Lakers, teams that aren't into that second tax are going to be at an advantage for someone like a Gordon Hayward if they do get waived, if they get bought out after the deadline. Because we think Gordon apparently- Hayward is a veteran, like a, a buyout guy? I don't, I don't I think, think so. Be- I think because, well, he's not, he's not expiring. I mean, if he lasts through the deadline and if people are worried that he won't be able to play as much, could they just like come to an agreement? He gets bought out for $2 million and then he goes on the market. But if you were below the second tax, you are able to sign a guy like him. If And I believe the way it works is if the player is making before their wave more than $12.5 million, teams like the Bucks the Suns cannot sign those players. And so I wonder if that's a pathway for certain teams like the Sixers without messing their up their long-term vision. I may have spoken too soon. I mean, the idea of the Hornets saving even $2 million is something that I think we have to realistically talk even about. As even as Jordan is no longer the owner. Even oh, under El new Chipo ownership. himself. Yeah. I mean, it's the market considerations still are what they are. I think what makes Hayward interesting in the buyout market is very different than the idea of him as a trade piece just because he makes prohibitive money, $32 million a season. So the Sixers don't have a way to amass that unless they're trading Tobias Harris. But if they can get him as a buyout guy or any winning team or veteran team could get him as a buyout guy, I think that's a great role for him. Plus it's a, it's a low risk role. If you're Mm -hmm. giving up stuff for Gordon Hayward, real prospects, real picks, real rotation players, that's a bad bad idea his health just isn't reliable (laughs) enough but yeah i think we're all fans of his game and what he can actually do when he gets out there have you guys looked at the sixers books for next season right now the only guaranteed contracts they have on the books are joel Embiid at 51 million springer at 4 million which they had to opt into a few months ago and i remember that being a huge consideration and then paul reed 7.7 million non-guaranteed it is a blank space for whatever Daryl Moore can cook up here. The problem is what that's for are next they year. Put in there? Right. The, yes. the problem is that's so, all next year. <laughs> right. So, and on the one hand, that get, buys him time, that buys him a deadline and an offseason to figure it out. But the clock is ticking to figure it out there. And it's just, I don't know, man. I will say LeBron James, player option for next season. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna float that just putting it up just in the air well here's another one another guy with a player option for next season Paul George and now I don't think Paul George is gonna go anywhere in, after the Kawhi extension yeah although it is curious that Kawhi's extension got done but his didn't I mean but like these I'm things just curious, come in stages as like, yeah as, as a thought exercise if you're Paul George would you rather ride it out with the Clippers or the, or the Sixers He'd rather it's not gonna be happen, in Southern but... California, y'all. Like, this has been his <laughs> wish yeah. forever. He got it. Like, the Clippers lose. Nobody cares or bothers them. He still gets close to max money. Like, what Like what? 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 does he have to complain about, honestly? It's true. Yeah, the pressure of being a Clipper versus the pressure of being a Sixer 
a or different. Laker. Like, uh, you know what I mean? It, 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 even in the same market, it's just he's got a great gig. Why would he want to ruin that for expectation and scrutiny? <laughs> I feel about these podcasts. You know, that's why I don't go and do any YouTube shows myself. No. You know, that's why we're sticking to the bottom half of the top ten sports podcasts. We don't, we don't want that listen, top five scrutiny. Listen, man, I'm, I'm uh, everything I do is ringer. Everything on my back, everywhere I'm at mm. is 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 ringer group chat all day. Which, by the way, last night I've never felt more like a ringer employee than I did because I went to the new Beverly cinema and saw wow. heat on oh, hell yeah, it was. Hell it yeah. was 35 mil fucking sick. Yes. 35 millimeter. Um, the little, uh, curator manager guy at the theater said, this is Quentin's personal print. And so, which, and he said, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and uh-huh. so, yeah, I watched that last night. I never, I never felt more ringer in my life. I think you can expense that. <laughs> Actually, I think Chris Ryan will personally expense that for you. <laughs> She's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, thank you to Jack Sanders on production. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll see you then. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.